while gold was reaching new highs. It was in the news and everyone's talking about it. Gold hit new highs. So what about silver? Well, hello there, my friends. Raf here from the Endgame Investor with this week's Silver Report for Arcadia Economics. And yeah, a lot of stuff happened this week. Gold and silver went up. Gold and silver went down. It looks like there was another slam. How much longer can it last? Uh, we're going to talk about some plumbing problems in the deep dungeons of the monetary system. Raven's egg. Blood of a hen. Eyeballs of a crocodile. <laughs> testicles of a newt and secured overnight financing rate which is basically the repo rate without the fed issuing the money it's the repo rate between banks and that repo rate is rising along with the volume in the repo market close to two trillion dollars a day which has indicated a financial crisis is that the door in the past and i'll show you that chart we're going to continue with a breakthrough in the commodities ratio with silver uh, we're going to compare 2010 silver, have the lag of silver behind gold during the 2010 and 2011 run and uh, the possible lag now. And I think it'll be a shorter lag. But my point is that gold reached new highs, fell back during the financial crisis, reached new highs again. And then it took silver another year to overtake gold, about 10 months. And this time it'll be shorter than that. Uh, why premiums are so low in the physical markets, even though they're low, they're higher than they had been from anywhere between 2009 to 2020. There is no excitement in the silver ETF market, nor in the gold ETF market. We're going to get a little bit into the yen in Japan because it looks like yield curve control in Japan is about to end. And that could be the major domino that causes the rest of them Default because Japan is the most hideous Keynesian experiment that has ever existed. This week's silver report is brought to you, as always, by Fortuna Silver Mine symbol FSM. No new news in the company at the moment, uh, but the stock price is right back at the major pivot point uh, that has been seen uh, the breakout point from 2019 to now. You see here the red line. This was the line where the breakout had occurred. Uh, when we passed this level at about 370, 380, something like that. Oh, $4 actually. So we're right there. Um, and we touched it about five or six times before the 2020 crisis. And 2020 brought us below that, but it was a false breakdown. And then we went up to, uh, was it all-time highs here or close to it to $10. And so we've been touching that level one, two, three, four, maybe five, six, seven times, depending on how you want to count it. Uh, we're approaching it again from a bullish perspective, a bullish standpoint here. And if we break through this line, uh, there could be a forceful move to the upside. We feel the same thing in the gold and silver markets at large now. Uh, there's a lot of pressure building. We don't know exactly when the breakout is going to occur, but I think it will be when the Fed moves, as I always say. And that will be when something breaks in the banking system. And that could happen any day now. And we're going to go to the next chart to show you why. Maybe not any day, but any week or any month, certainly. Uh, this is a chart of the secured overnight financing rate versus the volume in the secured overnight financing market. Secured overnight financing is basically uh, cash exchanged uh, for treasuries. If a bank is short cash, they exchange treasuries with a bank that has extra cash. The bank with extra cash gives the bank that cash in exchange for treasuries uh, for the night, and they can close their books with uh, regulatory happiness or whatever you would call it. 
So uh, these circles here, and I put this on the Endgame Investor last week, this chart. So it's a little bit of a flavor of what I do there. Uh, if you want to sign up for a two-week free trial, you can do so at the link in the description below and help out Chris and Yara as well. So here, let's take a look at the obvious first. This blue line, this here is the Repocalypse from September 2019. Before that happened, we saw that the volumes in the uh, SOFR market, in the repo market, bank to bank, were going up and up and they reached an all-time high over here just prior to the Repocalypse of 2019. And that is when the Fed stopped QE and started printing money again. We saw another spike in volume during the March 2020 crisis. Um, which you could blame on lockdowns. Or you could say it was planned. I really don't know, or both. Who knows? I don't really get into that too much because I don't really know what to say. Um, and we saw here another spike in the SOFR in interest rates when there was a spike in volume. So when there's a spike in volume, there usually is a spike in the SOFR rate above the Fed's target rate. And we see here the slow stepping up of the SOFR as interest rates were hiked by the Fed. And here, we are seeing an all-time high in volumes for uh, the SOFR market. The interest rate actually went up, I think, six basis points at the end of the month on November 30th, which is normal because end of the month you have spikes in the SOFR rate, but volume has not gone down. So there might be some problems. High volume means a lot of banks are missing the extra cash they need to close out the day. And even though there are reverse repos in the system, meaning some banks have extra cash, a lot of them do not. And a lot of them are short which means we might be very close to something breaking in the banking system. And I think it will happen when the reverse repos run out. I could be wrong, not married to the position, and nobody is really an expert in reverse repos. These are new things that have never really existed in bulk uh, as they are now. So uh, we'll see what happens when they run out and they're at about 850 billion now. Uh, it should be another 12 to 13 weeks before they uh, zero out if the current rate continues. Anyway, uh, for silver, there has been a breakthrough in the silver to commodities ratio above the 200-week moving average, which is holding. And uh, this is a bullish indicator. It shows that silver has more purchasing power and is maintaining its purchasing power versus other commodities. See, so the 200-week moving average was tested at around April of this year, and it's broken through again last week, and it is maintaining that despite the sell-off this week in gold and silver. And I wanted to look at uh, 2010 silver, what silver was doing in 2010 and 2011 while gold was reaching new highs. It was in the news and everyone's talking about it. Gold hit new highs. So what about silver? Well, here's what happened in 2010 and 2011. So in 2008, let's go back there for a second. Uh, gold in the candles here in the red candles uh, hit new highs in 2008 uh, at, I think, 1033. This is the GLD ETF chart here. So I'm just using it as a proxy. Uh, and then uh, there was the, the great financial crisis of 2008 and gold and silver fell down uh, along with everything else except for the dollar. And then gold retakes its highs over here on October 4th, 2009. Okay. And it continues at new highs after new highs after new highs again and again and again. And silver didn't really do much until 10 months later uh, when it made a crazy rally from whatever this was to uh, $50. I forgot exactly what the number was, but we, we, you know, you can look at the charts and find out yourself. It was a very extreme rally uh, to all-time highs at $50. And it took a year, uh, less, 10 months for silver to catch up. I don't think it's going to take that long this time, but it doesn't mean, what I'm saying is it doesn't mean that when gold hits new highs, silver immediately hits new highs also, right? Silver does lag when it figures out that gold continues to go. So if gold continues to go higher, it should take just a few months this time. Last time it took 10 months. This time it might take less, four or five, who knows? 
Uh, but again, we shouldn't be alarmed that silver is not following gold to new highs immediately. Now, a question on why premiums are relatively low. So here's the chart of premiums. Yes, they are low. This is the uh, Silver Eagle premium, 23.42%. And uh, it looks like we have a post silver squeeze uh, low here. Here's silver squeeze where these uh, premiums are on 15% and now they're on 23. So they're still higher than when silver squeeze began. And they're still higher than at most, almost all points between 2009 and 2020, but they are falling. Why is that? Why isn't there any interest in the physical markets or relatively to, compared to what we saw uh, in 2023 and early 2023. So I had this comment on my YouTube channel and I thought it was very apt. Uh, this uh, subscriber, hopefully a sub subscriber to my YouTube channel. You can find me at Ravi Farber on YouTube. Uh, he says, I think many retail investors are selling gold just to keep up with their monthly bills. And this includes silver, I guess, as well. Thus creating a lot of inventory on the retail market. This is confirmed anecdotally by some local coin shop owners who appear on YouTube. A lot of sellers are coming in just to make the bills. Thus, the local coin shop is flush with inventory. I'm sure they don't want to sell. But with credit cards being maxed out and the grind of persistent inflation in the past 24 months has hoovered, that means vacuum. They think it's British for vacuum because of Hoover, the vacuum. Away any savings or financial cushion they may have had. Add to this really bad sentiment in the gold space this year and the reality that not all of us buy gold with excess savings. Some people borrow, which I do not recommend, to buy it or use funds that they don't have yet. Also, it's hard to add, add to the stack if you have no savings left. And so the answer might be that people are just running out of money and they need to sell their stacks in order to make ends meet. And this is a this is, it's a sad situation, but it's going to be that case if you're going into debt in order to buy gold and silver sometimes. market can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. That happens to a lot of people. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out in this chart is look at the premiums in 2010 and 2011 when silver was hitting its all-time highs. The, the premiums were at all-time lows. So we're not anywhere in that situation right now. We're not anywhere, anywhere close to it. There still is plenty of interest in the physical markets, much more than was over here in 2010 to 2013. Uh, so we're not in that same market now. Uh, but as people sell their stacks to make ends meet, that should put downward pressure on premiums. And it is a temporary situation. There's also no excitement in the ETF market, as we see here. Uh, the, the black line is the holdings in SLV, and they keep falling and falling. And we saw here in this rectangle, as so the silver price rose from around $20 to $23.50, something like that. Uh, the holdings in SLV just kept falling meaning there's no interest in the retail market to use silver as exposure for dollar profits either. We're going to go into one more article on Japan that I found on Bloomberg. Japan's yield curve control might end any day, any week now. And there's bets on the yen. The yen strengthened to, I think, 144 or 143 to the dollar. Uh, let's take a look at that. And we'll get into one more thing. Stocks treasuries drop as Japan rattles markets. Markets wrap. European stocks dropped and, and bond yields rose amid speculation that the Bank of Japan will soon scrap the world's last negative interest rate regime. The paragraph is here. Investors are speculating that higher rates could come earlier than expected following comments from BOJ Governor Kazuo Ueda on more challenging policy ahead and a weak auction of long-term debt. Even Japan is having weak auctions of long-term debt because uh, nobody wants any more of this crap. Your overnight index swaps at one point on Thursday showed an almost 45% chance that the BOJ would end the policy this month. Now, what happens when that happens? Yes, the yen did strengthen temporarily today. And I think that is a very temporary phenomenon because 
the yen is backed mostly by Japanese government bonds. So if they raise yields in Japanese government bonds, the yen falls. It does not strengthen. This, I think, is a very temporary thing where the where the yen strengthen on rumors that uh, yield curve control would end. But if you take a look at the longer term chart of the yen versus uh, the bond yield, the 10-year Japanese government bond yield, you can see as the Japanese government bond yield falls, the yen exchange rate with the dollar also falls. It means the yen is strengthened. So if the red line goes down, it means the yen is strengthening. If the blue line goes down, it means that bonds are strengthening. So as bonds strengthen, the yen strengthen, and as bonds uh, fall and their yield rises, the yen weakens. That has been the case since 2015 here. You can see these lines moving together, which means bonds go up, yen goes up, bonds go down, yen goes down. I'm talking about Japanese government bonds, of course. So here we saw the yield go up, meaning bonds go down and the yen go up. And that I think is very temporary because it breaks the pattern that we've seen since 2015 when most of the yen became backed by Japanese government bonds. And this is not going to last much longer. If the Japanese government or the Japanese, sorry, the Bank of Japan, if it ends yield curve control, the yen is going to fall hard and gold is going to rise on the next financial crisis printing round, which should be shortly after Japan implodes. And of course, the Federal Reserve is going to implode after that and print more money too. This is all going to come at the same time. And that will be, uh, I think, the Endgame or something very close to it. This is Rafi of the Endgame Investor coming at you with this week's Silver Report for Arcadia Economics. And I'll see you next week. Who knows if we'll be at new highs again.